Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. On today's broadcast, it's a fight. Mexico versus the U.S. over GMOs. Millennials choose their favorite cuisine. Just when we thought food prices were falling, guess what? Supersize, move over, and independent grocers hold their own. On the bullseye, Netflix gets into the food business. Let's get started. So, Sally, you know, U.S. versus Mexico as it relates to you know, GMOs, it's it's a fight that probably no one ever expected, um, least of all uh, the GMO companies here in the U.S. Uh, but, you know, it, it looks like, you know, this is really going to take hold similar to what we've seen over in Europe. Yes, this is the closest to home. I believe that this um, GMO debate has landed um, the, the U.S., backed by Canada, will be in discussions with Me- Mexico about their ban of consumption of the human consumption of GMO corn. Now, now they are allowing it for um, use, use in feed for, for cattle um, and used in some non-food products. Um, but, but GMO corn, um, it has been banned from human consumption. And their um, their argument for this is that they be- they believe in the studies that they have examined that there is a probable chance for um, carcinogens, and also they are talking about protecting the bees specifically um, these important pollinators that are a big part of the, how the agricultural system survives in Mexico. So I'm I'm confused about the fact that they're allowing it for feed in cattle. Because when you really talk to a lot of the anti-GMO folks, you know, they're very concerned that the GMO corn gets eaten by the cows and the cows then, either for beef or milk, uh, basically have GMO in them. So that one just doesn't make sense to me. But I think that what's going to be really interesting um, about this fight is that Mexico, if you take a look at what Mexico has done with nutritional labels, uh, what they've done now with this GMO ban, um, they're moving faster than we are on this. Uh, and kudos to them for, for doing it. Um, let's talk about Generation Z and millennials. They don't seem to like Italian food as much as, you know, our generations did. Yes, it seems that for the first time in many, many years, um, the top choice for ethnic food now is Mexican when it comes to our millennials and our Gen Z. And even with our Gen Z crowd, Phil, uh, Italian has moved to third place below Mexican and Asian food. Well, and I think one of the reasons, and, you know, it's stated um, in this report from uh, VOA News, um, is that now, um, you know, there's 20, uh, 23% population growth in the Latino publication uh, population. So, I mean, part of it is heritage uh, for that as well. Uh, but I don't, I don't want any Italian restaurants to close just yet. You know, we got to, we got to keep them open. But what's interesting also about this report is that pizza, which was, you know, one of the favorites, pizza, lasagna, and so on, they've been declining on menus over the last 10 years. Um, and we're seeing more tacos and, and ramen, ramen 
and other, you know, Asian-inspired dishes growing on these menus. And to be honest with you, I think, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? If, in fact, we take it off the menus and there's not the availability, of course, they're not going to be as favored as tacos are. So interesting to, to watch to see how those demographics are going to change. Um, what are foods you know, being sold, whether it be in a grocery store or in a food service operation? Um, also, what we found from CNN uh, this past week, uh, U.S. grocery prices are up again. Uh, they were down in March and April. Um, and th the reality is that margarine was up 22.5%, flour up 17.1%, uh, bread spiked 2.5%, sugar up 11.1%, um, juice and non-alcoholic drinks up almost 10%, lettuce up 9.5%, ham up 8.2%, and ice cream in the beginning of summer was up 8%. So, you know, before everybody got, you know, really, really psyched that food prices were coming down. But as we've talked about here um, on the Lemp Report any number of times, prices are not going to go down. We still have our climate situation. We still have labor shortages. We have labor pricing uh, going up, the, the hourly wages going up. We have a trucking shortage. So prices are not going to go down. Um, so what, what do you think we should be doing about this, Sally? Well, one good piece of good news is that we have seen eggs um, in a historical decline. They have come way down and we have talked about the price of eggs a lot, you know, and, re and remember how, how, you know, some people around the, co the country were buying a carton of eggs for $8. Yep. Uh, so that is not happening anymore. But what I what I, I believe is that shoppers are getting a little exhausted with the messaging of the, it's the war in Ukraine, it's supply chain issues, it's labor costs, you know, weather, all of these things that you were just talking about. And um, the feeling out there may be that maybe some of these food companies and retailers are just taking advantage of shoppers. Um, that that may be what consumers are feeling. Yeah, and I think consumers are right. Not necessarily on the retailer side, nearly as much as on the brand side. Um, again, listening to a lot of these, um, you know, investment calls that these brands have with Wall Street. I mean, a lot of them are saying, you know, we we need to raise our prices, um, and we're able to do that. I mean, look at Coca Cola, which has raised their prices. I think it's five times uh, since the pandemic. And, you know, their their price of tin obviously went up for for the aluminum cans. Uh, but also, you know, you, you think about a product like Coke or Pepsi that has huge profit margins. I mean, the product cost is negligible. And the fact that they feel that they can take these price increases really puts, you know, consumers on on the short end of this whole thing. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about supersizing. It looks like supersizing is over. Well, let's hope so for the health of Americans uh, that have become very accustomed to um, these very, very large portions on menus. 
you know, I was thinking about Phil, I was thinking about when I was a child and I went to a restaurant on vacation, my parents would let me order soda. And it was never an option to just have, uh, you know, refills coming and coming and coming at one at, you know, no charge. So it was one soda and you were done and then you were drinking water. Um, so it's it it is interesting hearing now that some you know after looking at the eating habits and the way that food has been marketing that some companies are thinking about pulling back on supersizing and maybe um, presenting you know foods that are in more reasonable portions but also of a higher quality. You know it it's an example that we give all the time that you you could have a Snickers bar and be hungry, but if you have a one inch square piece of dark chocolate, um, you know, that's satisfying to you. And the movement is to, to move away from food as fuel as the business model, um, meaning that, you know, selling more calories to more people more often and for more money to the Epicurean model where the growth comes from selling fewer calories, but with more pleasure. Um, and what they point out with this with this report is the servings of fries and pizza serving sizes are now 50 percent larger than they were 30 years ago. So, you know, a, a slice of pizza when I was growing up was probably like that big. And now, you know, it's that big. So we, we really need to pay attention to that. And to your point, you know, just give us smaller portions, but better quality food better tasting food. And then there was a report that um, came from the Frozen and Refrigerated Buyer magazine, which was really interesting to me, um, that talked about how independent grocers are beating chain store rivals, especially since the pandemic, that these small locally owned independents are really getting more love from consumers um, as a result of the pandemic, they want to be able to go in there and talk to somebody um, on a human connection basis. Um, and and also, it's just much more pleasant to to go into a store that's maybe 30,000 square foot versus one that's 100,000 square foot. Yes, and this is a change that we are seeing in shopping behaviors, um, a change in what people want, particularly since the pandemic, they do want more of an in-store shopping experience. You know, we were all, we all had to sit at home for a while and order our groceries. So maybe we came back after the shutdown, really wanting to enjoy our grocery shopping. And with a smaller independent grocer, that is more possible. Um, there's more interaction sometimes with uh, store managers and employees. Um, they're not as technology reliant. Um, it's harder for them to be uh, more technolo technologically reliant. And um, they also are able to respond a little bit quicker to uh, customers' needs um, because there is there's not a big chain of bureaucracy that a that a big box retailer has to go through to uh, make something change in their store. So there are a lot of wonderful benefits to customers looking for that type of experience. And I think to in order to compete, a lot of these chains that have had to, you know, we've seen a lot of closings in in the big chain. Uh, stores, but a lot of them are going to start trying to up their in-store experience. Dave Ball uh, from Kansas City-based Ball's 
food store. She's the third generation uh, supermarket owner here. Um, one of his biggest hurdles, he says, and this is something that, you know, we mentioned a little bit ago, uh, but also continues, is his biggest hurdle is developing the next generation of leaders. Uh, he doesn't have a human resource department. Um, it falls on the store manager to hire people. Um, and it's really a situation that um, until we can figure out uh, this labor problem, we're going to have problems, whether it be an independent or a franchise or, you know, any other kind of retail environment. It's, uh, it's a major problem that we really need to face. So thanks, Ellie. Appreciate it. In this clip from a recent CMA SEMA webinar, Chase designed details to current size and scope of dollar stores and an outlook for the major chain expansion that's going forward. Members can view the entire presentation on demand in CMA's resource library. And here's what they had to say. As a channel, dollar stores have more retail locations than every one of the top major mainstream retailers combined, all of them. Uh, in fact, uh, at the current growth rates, dollar stores will outnumber every Dunkin' Donuts, every Starbucks, and every McDonald's combined uh, in the next several years. Uh, just last year, uh, dollar stores accounted for about 40% of all store openings. That's a lot, but that was also in a year of record brick and mortar expansion looking over the past five years as shoppers returned to stores following the pandemic, pandemic and all of the large retailers were opening up a whole lot of stores, so it's all the more remarkable. Uh, and based on recent earnings reports from the, the big $3 stores, they're on track to open another 1,600 stores this year. Uh, and that's just a few hundred shy of the total store count of Target right now. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And here's the important point. Um, all this growth in locations is paying off. Traffic to dollar stores is outpacing all other retail formats. Now, it's hard to see back at the beginning of this chart, back to 2020, where this chart begins on the left. Um, but with the exception of shopping centers, which is the red line that's way down, uh, not a surprise to anybody here, traffic to mainstream retail format, formats was in a fairly tight range back at the, at the far left of this, of this slide. You know, they're all kind of growing and sinking it, uh, in, in tandem with one another. But um, dollar stores um, are really, as you go through time here, pulling away. That is to say, traffic to dollar stores is growing year on year faster than to uh, other mainstream channels. On today's bullseye, this could only happen in Los Angeles. Netflix is expanding beyond streaming and mobile gaming and into a completely new category, restaurants. The company announced chefs from various Netflix cooking series, such as Chef's Table, Nailed It, and Iron Chef, and Quest for an Iron Legend, are coming together to create a new kind of restaurant. It's called Netflix Bites. Not sure I love the name. But according to TechCrunch, Netflix Bites patrons will be able to taste food from Iron Chef, Quest for an Iron Legend, from Curtis Stone, Dominique Crenn, Ming Tsai, and Andrew Zimmerman, as well as Rodney Scott and Ann Kim from Chef's Table, and pastry chef Jacques Torres, the head judge from Nailed It. I was actually a model, if you can believe that, in the New York chocolate show where Jacques dressed me in a chocolate suit, hat, and cane. And I got my one-time opportunity to walk down the runway with high fashion models all dressed in chocolate. Unfortunately, Eileen Ford never called after that. There's even more chefs that are participating. Nadia Hussein from Nadia Bakes 
and mixologists from Netflix Drink Masters, Frankie Slur and Julie Renner, um, O'Brien and Kate Gerwin. The restaurant will launch on June 30th and be open every day from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. There's also a brunch menu that's available on the weekends from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. To book a reservation, people can visit NetflixBytes.com or go on Resi. Netflix Bites is located at Short Stories Hotel, which is on Fairfax Avenue in Los Angeles, conveniently down the road from the Grove shopping area. The Lemper Report is all about inspiring ideas, making our industry think, and challenging each other. Let's think about being the shopper and how we can bring our supermarkets and restaurants closer to meet their needs. I hope you'll come back to join us on next week's installment of The Lemper Report Live, while we focus on the biggest and best insights and the things that really matter. In the meantime, be sure to visit supermarketguru.com for the latest marketing analysis, issues, and trends. And we'll see you back here next Monday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern for more.